0: Where do you ever see this in our fractured world of, of divisions? Bless those who persecute you. And, and to make the point, as if you, if you didn't hear me the first time, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So uh, here are we, those who are not at the State Fair. Thank you for (laughs) coming over to worship on this um, holiday weekend. Blessing to be in your presence. And those of you at home or wherever you may be, there may be a couple of you that are taking a break on a bench at the State Fair and joining us now. So, you know, indicate that in the comments. That would be cool. Uh, Certainly possible and doable in this digital age as we beam our worship services out. Uh, to draw people in uh, all over the place. And as always, we are joined by friends, uh, brothers and sisters in Tanzania. Um, I always get the, uh, the greetings and the follow-up afterwards. So, uh, as we continue in Matthew's Gospel, the disciples have been on quite a, a, a run, uh, front row seats, uh, as Jesus has preached uh, large gathering crowds feeding thousands of people healings a couple of weeks ago nearly dying out there on the stormy seas on uh, galilee and so i wonder if we can hear as we move through these gospel stories if we can hear promise for ourselves that the storms of our lives will eventually calm that no matter how long it takes, a promise that Christ is with us in the storm and will redeem us from the storm. So, when we get around to the gospel reading from Matthew 4 today, Jesus and the disciples are in Caesarea Philippi, just give or take about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, which Doesn't sound like a lot unless it's, you know, 90 degrees and you're trudging through the arid uh, landscape and sandals. So, 25 miles a pretty good hike. But the disciples uh, are probably happy to, to be away from that body of water for a while. I mean, it's been incredible, but exhausting, and... Out up here in the north, uh, separated a bit, Jesus asks these two questions. If we kind of widen the lens a bit on the context of this gospel reading. Who do people say that I am? Uh, Jesus asks. And the disciples start throwing around some pretty big names, you know. I mean, they seem almost eager to say, listen, Lords, people are... I mean, people are saying, you may well be the return of John the Baptist, the great wilderness rock star, right? Or the prophet Jeremiah returned. Or perhaps Elijah. I mean, that's what we're hearing out here, Jesus. Can, can you believe it? I mean, this, this movement that you've, you've allowed us to be all wrapped up into, it's firing on all cylinders. People are starting to wonder, whether you just may be the return of the great prophets of Israel. Now Peter, apparently he's kind of standing off to the side and and he's letting the others talk and share their answers to this first question. The last time that the camera was focused on Peter was when Jesus was reaching down to pull him up out of the Sea of Galilee in that stormy night uh, while Peter began to sink after he was taking notice of you know, the the chaos surrounding him. Lord, save me, he yelled, and Jesus did just that. That's what Jesus does. Now, Peter has seen miraculous hearings. He's seen them with his own eyes. He's heard the sermons of justice and inclusion, and he's twice tasted bread multiplied to feed thousands He'd just been saved by the the grasp of the Lord's own hand pulling him up out of the raging waters. Sight and sound and taste and touch. Through the flesh and blood of his own experience, Peter has learned much about his Lord. So once everyone else was done throwing out names and it was time to speak for themselves as to what they believed about Jesus, Peter stepped to the center to answer the second question, who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he declares. And it just kind of hangs in the air. Nobody else had said anything like that. This statement of faith hung there. And I wonder if this moment was even more profound for Peter than that moment that he climbed out of the boat onto the raging seas and found himself for a moment at least standing there and beginning to walk toward Jesus. That moment on the sea was personal. That was between Peter and Jesus. That salvation was personal. It was Jesus pulling up Peter. This moment right here Is universal this is between Jesus and everybody you are the Messiah Jesus the son of the living God we you are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit we are born into a fallen humanity in the waters of baptism we are reborn children of God and inheritors of eternal life we are born into a broken creation. Storms, prejudice, pollution, disease, racism, pandemics, wildfires, hurricanes. We are reborn children of God, chosen, claimed, forgiven and sent into this world, broken though it is. Not just because of our answer to the second question, it's not only because of who we say that Jesus is, but because of who God in Christ has said that we are in our own baptisms. It's only because of this given and gracious identity, sealed by the promise of the gospel and not by our own efforts, that Paul can then map out uh, this different way to be in the world in Romans 12, which is why I wanted to kind of walk through this rich, powerful passage together as we consider as chosen, forgiven children of God sent out into this world how this might equip us empower us to live differently in this world this is a just a, a fire hose of, of 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 how the people of faith might live differently it's a, it's an upside down world that paul presents for so we're just going to step through these verses we just heard read by pastor natalia verse 9 let love be genuine hate what is evil hold fast to what is good the word that paul uses here for love is agape that's a kind of sacrificial self-giving love love let love be genuine and and interesting that paul starts right out this rich passage he begins with love and 10 love one another with mutual affection outdo one another in showing honor. It's almost like it's a competition, right? I mean, just outdo each other with showing this kind of sacrificial, self-giving love and honoring the other. The leaven, do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. This Christian faith is meant to be more than a hobby. It is meant to be woven into our lives. It is meant to be Um, something we use uh, even when it's inconvenient to determine the course forward, the ardent. Um, Rejoice, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. I, I, I find it interesting that Paul holds these things together which we would probably consider to be far apart. Rejoicing in hope, suffering, prayer. I mean, rejoicing in hope over here maybe, suffering over here. But Paul says, no, no, they're all together. They're tightly woven together. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. We could build our whole Christian life of faith on this one verse. 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Now, things begin to turn away from our own best interests and begin to turn out toward our neighbor in need. Extend hospitality to strangers. I, you know, this is a profound thing. It's easily skipped over. I, I will say that for 25 years, I've, I've been blessed to help lead uh, people to experience uh, our brothers and sisters in the church in Tanzania, and one of my primary reasons for bringing over there is for our people to experience hospitality from not only from people who have so much less than we do in terms of, you know, physical uh, uh, stuff. You know, uh, people who are, for the most part, we would consider to be quite poor, materially poor, but but more so to experience hospitality from literal strangers in so many cases as we move about that impoverished and gorgeous country. It is a profound thing. It's woven into the essence of our faith. And Paul raises it for us here. Um, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Well, Where do you ever see this in our fractured world of of divisions? Bless those who persecute you? And and to make the point, as if you you didn't hear me the first time, bless those who persecute you? Bless and do not curse them? Uh, Fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So this is just part of what it means to live as part of a faith community. It means that some people at any given moment will be grieving. This, just this past week, we had Jerry Parker's funeral and then Stephen Grant's funeral. The community gathered around. Families grieving. Others are rejoicing in our community. So many Pictures of uh, first days at kindergarten or the uh, standing in front of the newly uh, uh, set up uh, dorm room. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty and associate, associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Again, this is life in the community of faith. Where else do we see CEOs and, and maybe you know, folks on, on uh, receiving welfare support who come forward as members of the same organization. Those with advanced degrees receiving communion next to someone who left formal education before they finished public school. Families living in mud huts in Tanzania worshiping alongside those of us who show up in jumbo jets with hired Drivers. 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. As Paul wants to make sure we didn't miss what he said back in verse 14. And 18, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It feels like Paul is admitting here that there are times when living peaceably is simply out of our hands. There are times when it's not even safe to try. We need to remove ourselves from harm's way, from abuse, from violence. But Paul is saying, as if it's possible, as long as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And 19, Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And this opens up a fascinating train of thought that Paul wraps up this passage with. And now he begins to quote a psalm, in fact, is is what Paul is doing. Verse 29, No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And right here, we, might, we may be thinking, okay, Paul, this doesn't even sound humanly possible. I mean, you are some kind of special saint if you are able uh, to bring refreshments to the people that are setting up to attack you. But Paul isn't done. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Oh, so I always laugh a little bit when I read that one. Uh, part of me laughs every time. It's like a big glaring reminder that Paul is, in fact, human, and he's got issues like the rest of us. Again, he's quoting a psalm here, but he's bringing it forward and making a point. There, there are scholars who will point out that way back in the day, uh, you know, people are always trying to kind of help Paul a bit. Way back in the day, uh, if your um, life-sustaining fire went out in your hut, in your village, because you were distracted or you fell asleep and the embers went out, you don't have a big lighter like you know, like I've got here. Hey, I've got props. <laughs> uh, to get it started again, um, you were, it was a problem. You could freeze, and so people would go, humbly go to their neighbors to ask if we might have a little bit of your uh, burning embers And they would gather those. It could be put in a container. And there was this kind of um, thing that you put between the container and your head to leave some space It allowed people to carry heavy items but also provided some some insulation from the heat there. And they would carry those embers back to their fire uh, on their heads. So this is maybe what's getting at when it says, in doing this kindness, you heap burning coals on their heads. Now, having said all that, let me just say, I don't buy it, okay? (laughs) I mean, I I think uh, I just don't buy it. I I read it differently. Uh, Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. So Paul now is finishing strong. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is just a rich passage. It's worth sitting with for a while and reading back through. And it's kind of opposite day. Uh, everything is upside down. If this way of being in the world is possible, even as an aspiration, uh, it's only because of our given and gracious identity, sealed by the promise of the gospel and not by our own efforts. Because of who God in Christ says that we are, not just because of what we're able to muster in our most faithful moments to say about Jesus, but about what God in Christ has said about us, baptized, chosen, forgiven, and sent. I believe we can take some comfort in the fact that, you know, none of the disciples really got the answer correct, if that's what Jesus was looking for, correct the answer. Who do people say that I am? Uh, and they had some big guesses, Elijah and Jeremiah and John the Baptist. But who do you say that I am? And, uh, you know, most of them didn't really even have an answer for that question, apparently. But Peter, you know, while he said the right thing, uh, as we Follow the rest of that gospel reading. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus explained that this is going to involve rejection and suffering and dying before a conquering death and rising from the grave. And Peter didn't, you know, he didn't want to hear any of that. He tried to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. Certainly not, Lord. This You know, everything's going so well. I mean, have you seen the crowds? I mean, that thing with the bread and the fish. I mean, Jesus, what are you talking about? And Jesus had to tell Peter to get behind me, Satan. You're thinking the things of people, not of God. And so we, again, have gathered here to hear this gospel and the whole thing doesn't hinge on our answer to that big question. Who do we say that Jesus is for us? Because that answer, Probably isn't exactly the same today as it was yesterday for us or earlier in our lives or later in our lives it's important we should hope to be able to say to the world who Jesus is for us and who we think Jesus is for them but the gospel the good news that you leave here with on this holiday weekend is what God in Christ says about you that is a promise. You are a forgiven, chosen child of God. This is who you are. You have seen it and heard it and tasted it, taken it within yourself. This is who you are because this is who God in Christ says that you are in this world. So, yeah, let's work on that answer to the other question, who do we say that Jesus is? Let's work on it together. But let's know who we are as we head out into this broken world, beset by violence and discord and racism and prejudice and and hurricanes and, and massive fires. Let's know who God is sending out there when he sends us. Forgiven, fed children of God, that's who you are. And that is good news, gospel. How lovely are the feet of those who come bearing good news. So do we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.